This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Warriors knock off the wings to keep their playoff hopes alive. The Rush have climbed back to the top of the NLL West. The worst news possible for Audi Stotts and the San Diego Seals. Fans and players continue to give. Baptiste continues to win. All that more on OTCB. I am an What is good, lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and the Lacrosse Flash. My name's Teddy Jenner. Thank you for stopping by, as always. Housekeeping stuff. If you want to get a hold of me here at the show, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Uh, week 18 in the National Lacrosse League is in the books. We are just a couple of weeks away from the start of the National Lacrosse League playoffs. We know everybody in the East. Unfortunately, the Colorado Mammoth aren't quite sure they want that playoff spot just yet. They're trying. They just haven't clinched it yet. Their magic number still remains one, either a win or a Vancouver Warriors loss. Uh, the Warriors didn't play nice as they knocked off Philadelphia on Sunday. We'll get into that game in a little bit, but... We still have one more spot in the NLL West playoffs to confirm. It'll either go to the Mammoth or the Warriors. And again, we could find that out as early as this weekend, as early as Friday night, actually, as Colorado is in San Diego to take on the Seals game three of that regular season series. San Diego has won both of those games. Both of them were in Colorado. So we will have to wait and see. As in Vancouver, will have to go across country to take on the Rochester Nighthawks. So, uh, dear Rochester, um, you didn't do me any favors Friday night in Colorado. Could you please do me a favor Saturday night and knock off Vancouver? Simple ask. I don't ask much. But as one final wish, please beat the Vancouver Warriors. Speaking of the Vancouver Warriors, Logan Schuss will join us on the show today as well uh, our weekly guest, Pat Gregoire. He has an issue or so to take with Paul Day of the Philadelphia Wings for something that he quoted to say to Adam Levy. But we'll get to that later on in the show. We were hoping to have Reggie Thorpe of the New York Riptide on. Unfortunately, uh, his day turned out to be a lot busier than originally scheduled, so uh, no Reginald Winthorpe third. We'll try and hook up with Reg next week. Obviously, the Riptide making a little bit of noise this week uh, as they signed Brian Hobart as the new director of scouting and Jake Henhawk, uh, the director of player development. Reggie's got good relationships with both those guys uh, in some of his past relations and doing. So uh, he's hiring guys that he's familiar with, putting them in roles to be successful. And Jake Henhawk has done a great job with the Six Nations Arrows program over the years and helped creating that into one of the best junior programs in the country. Uh, and he has a relationship with Reggie, as Reggie was a coach there back in 2014. Um, so good to see the New York Riptide making some moves. I'm sure we'll see some news coming out of the new Rochester Nighthawks in the coming weeks um, once sort of the regular season is over and teams can kind of move on from where they are. But week 18 in the National Cross League has indeed come and gone. And 
There's been some juggling in the standings. The Saskatchewan Rush are now atop of the West. San Diego, a game back. Calgary, a game and a half. So San Diego is in real peril here, in jeopardy of going from first to third in the span of just a couple of weeks. And uh, they were on a massive heater. They had won five in a row going into that Georgia game two weekends ago where Stotts got hurt and Buchanan got hurt. Uh, then they go up to New England and they lose that game. And then they lost this past weekend's game uh, to Saskatchewan at home. So now they've lost three straight. They've lost their stranglehold on the number one seed in the West, home floor throughout the Western playoffs. And it's going to be tough for them to catch Saskatchewan. Um, but if anybody can do it, this San Diego Seals team can. Unfortunately, it will be without the services of Audie Stotts. The potential... Fan favorite rookie of the year, uh, Stott's done for the year. Uh, if you remember the hit that he took um, in that game against Georgia, going for a loose ball down by Mike Poulin's net, got hit by Connor Sellers, and it was either as he was planted or as he went crashing into the boards that he did the damage to the leg. Uh, he tried to come back and play, but it just, you looked and it seemed like he was in pain, and you could tell that he wasn't at 100%. You got to give the kid credit for trying to get back out there and trying to do everything he can to help his team when that's just the kind of kid that Audie Stotts is. Unfortunately, they've had to shut him down for the season and as a guy that's gone through ACL surgery before, you know, it's a 8 to 12 month process depending on how your leg reacts, the muscles around the knee react, how your therapy goes, how your knee reacts to the surgery. Uh, so, you know, most likely we're probably, we may not see Stotts at the start of the 2019-2020 season, depending on when he can get in for surgery and he can start the process. If he gets in for surgery, you know, pretty quickly, then the timetable for return obviously shrinks. But if it's delayed to get him in to see a surgeon and get the procedure done, obviously that will slow his timetable of return. But everybody uh, wishing that Austin Stotts will get healthy. We'll talk to Pat Gregoire sort of about what this will mean for the Seals moving forward. We've already kind of touched on it on a little bit. They've lost their last three and they got Colorado, a desperate Colorado team coming in to the Seals' den or the Seals' lair. Or where do Seals sleep? The ocean? Do they have homes? Just the ocean? Okay. The man where they're coming into the ocean, I guess, to take on the Seals down in San Diego. And that's a massive game for both clubs because San Diego doesn't want to be a road team come the playoffs. They don't want to have to go into Calgary. They do have a game in hand on Calgary, so that helps. However, you do not want to go into the postseason limping. And unfortunately for the Mammoth, that's kind of where they're at right now. Uh, the Seals are kind of limping. Colorado's limping. Calgary and Saskatchewan aren't. Calgary's won two straight. Saskatchewan's won four straight. And they are the two sort of best at the moment teams in the NLL West. And it would not surprise me if those two teams met in the West Finals. I think that would be a heck of a matchup, one that has a ton of history dating back to when it was Edmonton-Calgary. Even Saskatchewan-Calgary, they've had some great rivalries. Uh, the bold Chiliano 
preseason fight from, I think, maybe last year. Uh, you know, there's bad blood between those two clubs. Obviously, we're a long way from that happening, uh, approximately three weeks or so. But if you're the San Diego Seals, you need to try and right the ship and right it fast. They'll be without Audi. Uh, they've gotten Kyle Buchanan back. Um, I think Frank Chiliano is probably a little gassed. Um, he is a guy that loves to play as many minutes as possible for the Seals or whoever he's playing for. Uh, when he's playing in Maple Ridge for the Berards during the summer, um, he never wants to sit out a game or a shift. He wants to be in every minute possible. And I think that Eastern road swing uh, took a toll out of him and the club. Uh, and then he just didn't have it this past weekend against Saskatchewan on Friday night. So it'll be interesting to see how this club ba bounces back because it is really their first true taste of adversity and it may be coming uh, at the worst possible time. But if you're a fan of the Saskatchewan Rush, um, they are hitting their stride uh, at exactly the right time. As mentioned, they've won their last four games and they are starting to look more and more like the team that's been to three of the or won three of the last four NLL Cups. They've got Calgary this weekend and then they are home to Colorado on the final weekend. So uh, not easy uh, and two teams that continue to want to climb. But when you look at it, they put up 16 on Philly, 14 on Saskatchewan, a defensive stand with Colorado, and then they put up 12 on Vancouver. Their last loss was a 13-12 loss to San Diego in San Diego. Very potent offense. Matthews, Church, Dinsdale, Shatler, Keenan, Ben McIntosh, who could be one of the best power forwards in the game today. He had, what, 11 goals this weekend? Six in San Diego, five at home on Saturday. And at times, he just looked unstoppable. Whether he's on his strong side, barreling in on his defender, or if he's sprinting off the bench on his wrong side, Again, barreling at a defender. Uh, he's very tough to defend. He's very tough to slow down. And when you get everybody in that offensive group contributing, and it's not just Mark Matthews or it's not just Ben McIntosh, it's that entire group and everybody's chipping in two, three goals, three, four assists. They're an incredibly tough offense to stop. And then couple that with the way their defense has been playing in the last few weeks. Uh, absolutely phenomenal. Kyle Rubish has taken his game to another level, which seems kind of odd because uh, many feel that he's been the best defender in, in the league for the past four or five seasons. Uh, I think he's back to that level. Obviously, at the start of the season, with the loss of Dilks and Cornwall, that defensive unit took some time to regroup and gel and figure out who was doing what. But in the last few weeks, Kyle Rubish has been a absolute monster on that lefty shooter side for the offenses, picking off passes, stripping guys, going the other way, he scored an empty net, then got hit by the sniper on Saturday night, which was probably one of the more funny moments from that game. And I'm sure uh, a lot of guys on his team razzed him about that. I don't know if the ref tripped him or he got caught up in a rug scene, but uh, he shot at the empty net and then went tumbling over himself down into the corner. But it just adds to the lore of Kyle Rubish. He leads the team and cause turnovers. Uh, he continues 
to put up defensive stands when needed. And when you're drawing up against uh, the opposing team's best forward, you're going to have to find another gear every time out there because every time you're playing defense, you're getting the best. And so you cannot allow yourself to take a shift off. Rubish not only leading the team in cause turnovers, he's leading the league in cause turnovers with 37. I would be very afraid to play the Saskatchewan Rush at home in the playoffs. I think they're vulnerable. Unfortunately, they don't have too many weaknesses. If you catch them off guard and you can catch them on a slow start, you have a chance. If you let them jump out to a lead, and are unable to claw your way back, then it's going to be a very, very long night. But like I said, they are susceptible to giving up leads and allowing teams to claw their way back into games. But once it comes playoff time, and as we are in this stretch, it's tough to find a way to beat this Rush Club. You have to play a near-perfect game because you have to battle Jeremy Thompson at the dot, you have to be able to deal with a transition game that continues to find legs through guys like Messenger and Travis Cornwall and Nick Beleach, Nick Finley. Then you have the defense of Rubish and Corbeil and Mitski to deal with. And then we've already talked about you know, the six-man offense that either, any of those six guys can bust off a 7-8 point night. They are as near a perfect team in the NLL as you can get this year. And they got off to a subpar start. It will be very interesting to see how this team matches up in the playoffs against the best teams in the East. Now, it doesn't mean I am writing everybody else in the West off because that's obviously not fair to everybody else in the West, especially when we're in one-game playoffs in the first two rounds because legitimately anything can happen in those two games. But I just think going into Saskatchewan, it's going to be very tough to beat that Rush Club at home. At home this year, Saskatchewan is 6-2, and two, 103 goals for and only 84 against. And they haven't had the greatest time against the Eastern Division, so that could haunt them come the finals. But I think the way they're playing right now, having won their last four, uh, they're playing at a level uh, that not many teams can keep up with. And so it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds in the West. But like I said, it's not quite over yet. San Diego could go on a run and, and catch catch Saskatchewan. They'd need a lot of help. Uh, Calgary can catch, can catch San Diego. Vancouver can catch Colorado. It's crazy how close this Western division is when in years past it hasn't been. But when you look at the NLL East, and we've already known the top four playoff teams for the last couple of weeks, Georgia has nearly clinched a home playoff game. Buffalo, I believe, has. Don't quote me on that, but I believe they have. Actually, now looking at it, I don't think they have clinched a playoff spot, a home playoff spot as of yet. Um, Toronto could catch them, uh, tie them on 12 wins. We could technically have three teams in the East on 12 wins, and then we'll seriously get in the tiebreaker. Uh, Toronto holds the tiebreaker over Buffalo. 
I believe Georgia holds the tiebreaker over Toronto. And then the Georgia Buffalo tiebreaker could could be that third one, but I only I only think they played each other twice. Uh, just looking down here, Buffalo beat them 19 to nine, and then Georgia beat them 14 to nine. Those are the only two times that those two teams played. So it'll be down to uh, like opponents if in the division, I believe, would be the next tiebreaker. But again, uh, one through three, pretty close. New England locked into that four seed, so they're just kind of waiting to see who they're going to play. Uh, so over the next couple weekends, some big games down the stretch. Uh, as mentioned, Colorado at San Diego Friday. Philadelphia at Georgia, Vancouver, Rochester, New England at Buffalo, and Saskatchewan at Calgary. So we got a potential first-round playoff matchup on Friday. Potential. We got a potential playoff matchup on Saturday out west. And a potential Eastern first-round matchup uh, between New England and Buffalo on Saturday. So some really good games this weekend. Of course, you can catch them all live on BR Live. Uh, tune in. Join in, put your feet up, and enjoy some lacrosse games because uh, we just got two weeks left in the regular season before we hit playoffs. And when playoffs come, it is going to be fast and furious. The Warriors got a bit of a break on Sunday. Uh, for Colorado fans, they needed the Warriors to lose. Uh, that would allow Colorado that final playoff spot. However, the Philadelphia Wings had to travel from Saskatchewan the next morning after playing the rush into the night and then fly to Vancouver and play an afternoon game. And it was about 18 hours from end of whistle to start of whistle from Saturday to Sunday. Uh, wouldn't have been the easiest of travel days. But when you're playing in the National Lacrosse, you got to make sure that you're ready. And out of the gate, it looked like the Wings were ready. They scored the first goal. Past Aaron Bold with it right off the opening draw. They went down and they scored and everything seemed great. And then all of a sudden, they got super tired. And Vancouver used that as motivation. And they reeled off nine goals in about 14 minutes. Blaze Reardon scored 17 seconds in. Mitch Jones responded 41 seconds later. And then over the next... 13 plus Vancouver would hang up eight more on the Philadelphia wings. Doug Buchan couldn't get the job done. Goa Abrams couldn't get the job done. And as much as they were able to battle back through the rest of the game, and they actually won the rest of the game, uh, 11, 10 after that first quarter, it was just too little too late. You got to give a lot of credit to Paul Day's group for battling back on such a short turnaround uh, and making a bit of a game of it. But when you get hung up for nine, which isn't even a National Lacrosse League record for most goals on a quarter by a team, that record is 11, and it's been done twice. But when you give up nine straight in one quarter, it's pretty debilitating. And when you get a guy like Keegan Ball who scores a first quarter hat trick and gets another uh, three point, two or three points in the quarter, he had five by the time the quarter was even over and puts up 14 on the night. It's a long night for your team. Vancouver had 
14 from Ball, 10 from Jones, 9 from Shuss, 8 from McBride. Nobody else had more than two points. Unbelievable. Top four guys have 8, 9, 10, and 14. Nobody else has more than two. That is an offense that ran through four guys. And Philly didn't have a solution. The only solution Philadelphia had in that game was Trevor Baptiste at the faceoff dot. Now, Jarrett Toll and Zach Porter, they can take draws, yes. Are they talented faceoff men? No. Are they elite? Definitely not. But to lose 31 of 35 draws to one guy? Let's put it the other way. To win 31 of 35 draws is incredible. I don't want to make this a negative thing because this is one of the greatest face-off performances we've seen. Now, there might be a couple little small caveats to it. Uh, Trevor Baptiste does an incredible job of pinch, pop, and release to himself. Um, he doesn't create a lot of loose balls if he doesn't have to. But also, um, a lot of those draws were, I believe, procedural wins. So that's an automatic win. Um, and a lot of those draws, they didn't really contest Trevor Baptiste. There was a game a few years ago, and I'm sure you all remember it, uh, where Philadelphia was playing Buffalo while Jeff Snyder was with Philadelphia. And Darius Kilgore's solution to limiting the chances of Jeff Snyder picking up and going down and scoring a goal in transition was to put everybody other than the faceoff guy behind the defensive rag line. And they would still compete for loose balls. And they'd still fight for loose balls, but Jeff Snyder pretty much had free reign to pinch and pop it back to do two guys behind him and win every draw. Trevor Baptiste actually had to battle this one out. And if he did need to pinch and pop it to somebody, he was able to put it in the right situations and the right spots. But he has now broken the single season rookie faceoff record. He's broken the single game faceoff record. And he is only a few draws away from setting the single season face-off record. A phenomenal first year in the National Crossing for a guy that's only maybe played a summer of Colorado box lacrosse. Of course, taking face-offs in field and box while positionally similar strategically they're different you got guys coming from different areas of the floor you have to be aware of where these guys are to know where to push the ball when to push the ball and if you can pop it to yourself or you got to find a guy but he has been doing it on such a consistent basis all year long it's been truly remarkable i think at the start of the year he probably wasn't getting a lot of hype in the rookie of the year category because uh, sort of a one-dimensional type player. He probably wouldn't get a lot of eyes, but truly what he is doing is remarkable for a face-off guy. And in our group chat that a couple of us have, somebody said, if you put Trevor Baptiste on, say, Georgia, Buffalo, or Saskatchewan, 
and you give those teams 31 possessions in a game, it's going to be a really long night. When we talk to Pat Gregoire, he'll have a hot take on Paul Day's hot take because Paul put out a scorching hot take today. But first, we got to focus on the Vancouver Warriors. Logan Schuss and the Warriors, again, as mentioned, knocked off the Philadelphia Wings 19-12 on Sunday to keep their playoff hopes alive. Uh, They need to win out against Rochester and Toronto and need to have Colorado lose to San Diego and Saskatchewan for for them to have any hope at making the postseason. Nobody's given up within that locker room. Everybody still believes in their ability to get there. Aaron Bold was fantastic. Their offense was great. Yes, they took advantage of a tired Wings team, but that's what desperate teams need to do. Win the games you're supposed to win. Take care of everything else when you cross that bridge. And Logan Schuss and the Warriors did just that, and they are still in the playoff hunt. And like I said, it's not going to be easy, but a busy stretch of lacrosse for Logan Schuss and the Vancouver Warriors. Yeah, I mean, we got... uh... Playoff hopes alive deep deep into the season. You know, a lot of people thought, uh, you know, count us out. But, you know, some uh, some things have worked itself out along the way. And, you know, we're finding ourselves still fighting for that last playoff spot. Obviously, it's not going to be easy having to travel across country and, and take on Rochester. And you guys essentially have to win out and hope Colorado loses out. But you guys can only control your own destiny. You did that this weekend by knocking off Philadelphia. Uh, have you ever been in a game where everything seemed to go right like it did in that first quarter? Uh, honestly, no. It's uh, I don't think in my entire NL career I've had a, a game like that, and especially um, with our Vancouver franchise going from Stealth and Warriors. So mm-hmm. uh, it was actually pretty nice. I got a text from uh, Smallsy, uh, old teammate, and you know he was just laughing about uh, you know how it turned out for us, and you know he, he's been on the lopsided. Uh, game like that with with being a team out of line of Vancouver Stealth days mm-hmm. but um, you know it was due for us and it was exciting because you know a lot of guys got in on the scoring and you know, a couple guys had some big nights and, and proved that we have a, a high-powered offense that can play and you know Boldy is great in between the pipes I think it's 60 plus days mm-hmm. uh, so that's a very big confidence boost to going into these next couple games. Yeah he, he gave up the first goal and then he didn't let one in until early on in the second quarter how important is that for you guys to get quality minutes at the start of a game from your goaltender. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you know things happen. It's tough. Obviously, I'm not a goalie in NLL, but I can only imagine uh, what goes through their head and what the shots they're seeing and the talent that's in front of them coming at them uh, with each shot coming at them. So once uh, you know he shifted off that first one, he started to make some unbelievable saves for us, and that allowed the uh, the offense to get on the floor and, and start getting into the rhythm. And the defense played great, taking the ball up the floor and giving us lots of scoring opportunities. How about Keegan Ball? Man, I mean, he's a guy that I've been a fan of since the day we played with each other and uh, with the Sandballers about six years ago, our first year together. And, you know, I was just always shocked every year that he wasn't getting a, a good look in the NLL. I know it's such a tough league to crack and limited amount of roster spots, but I'm happy that a guy like him got the opportunity with us this year. And, you know, he's uh, he's been worth every, every penny. He's, he comes out every practice, every game ready to work, ready to, to play hard. You know, he's getting those uh, those big games. He had, I think, seven goals in uh, San Diego a few weeks ago and then coming out with a big game like this for us and a, a must-win against Philly. 
as a guy that's been through highs and lows, it's obviously nice to see a guy like that have success and finally find his success. Was it just only a matter of time for a guy like Keegan? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, he, he puts in the work. He's a, a student of the game. I know he watches a lot of film and he stays up to today with all his workouts and, and, you know, he's at every practice ready to work and, and learn. And uh, it was just great to see him come out, come out of the shelter and, and have a really big night. It hasn't been your quote-unquote best statistical season, but how have you felt about your year uh, with the Warriors downtown? Yeah, you know, honestly, you can always be better statistically. Yeah. And um, going along with that, I think, you know, personally, if I can score a couple more goals or, you know, work a little harder on the offensive end, maybe we have a couple more wins this year. And You know, we're not fighting for that last place spot in the, in, for the playoffs. But uh, to go along with that, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes if, if your offense isn't clicking and, you know, you're not going to get a bunch of assists or, or goals on a night where you're only scoring five, six goals. So mm-hmm. uh, it's you got to ride the highs and lows. You know, I'm not, you know, a guy that's just, you know, worried about how many points I'm going to get. I'm, I really just want those wins. And if we can win a game, you know, 5-4, then, you know, that's going to be great. Sorry, we have a helicopter flying over here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it's not looking for me. Uh, no, but like I said, obviously not my best statistical um, career year. So uh, I'm just looking forward to the next game and, and obviously having a, a big game and trying to get us into the playoffs. Are you more worried about your golf game? I mean – I haven't given up on my golf game yet, but uh, I'm the type of guy, like, if I go and have a, a fun round and if I hit one good shot or make one long putt, you know, I'll be I'll be looking to go again soon. So I'm not a, I'm not a great golfer, but, I mean, don't ask my friends, but I'll say I'm a decent golfer. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the best golfer out of your group? Uh, I mean, Mitch Jones is pretty good. I, uh, I would think he's he like, a sandbagger. I think he's got to be a, gotta be a sandbagger. He's pretty good. You know, I, I always bug him because he, he takes about five minutes to hit each shot. Oh. I'm like, come on, bud. Like, whack yeah. thing. You're not getting to the green on this show. <laughs> but uh, actually, my, my best golf is an honorable guy. But I'll give a shout-out to Ryan Keith. Big yeah. boy. He can, uh, he can hit the long ball. He's uh, he's an interesting character, that Ryan Keith. I got to chat him up a bit at the President's Cup this summer. He's a funny cat. <laughs> yeah, he's uh he's one of my best friends and you know, I've been a lifelong teammate of his and friend and uh he's definitely one of my biggest supporters on the on the floor as well. So anytime I can uh definitely get a couple of Snapchats of him doing something funny, you'll see it on my <laughs> see it on my Snapchat, you'll see it on the Instagram for sure. Yeah. Um growing up in Ladner, uh you guys were sort of a, a second sort of tiered minor program coming up and, and even in the first parts of junior uh, the Delta program kind of struggled, but where's the ladder lacrosse scene at right now? It's it's growing huge, man. Like I I do a lot of uh, help coaching and and practices and stuff with the, the minor programs, and yeah. you know it's growing. It's it's such a a big sport out here in Ladner, and you know I think uh, my niece and nephew they play Benny Tyke and Tyke, and I think there's five or six teams in each division, so it's it's growing, and you know everyone's got the kind of lacrosse bug, and anytime you had a Vancouver Warriors game, you look up and. You know, I know this past game uh, with the Lax for the Max, the, the minor lacrosse night, you know, I think Delta lacrosse had probably 150 tickets sold just in the one section. So the support's great. You know, like I said, lacrosse dogs out there. And, you know, kids are hungry to get better here in Ladner. Uh, you know, anytime I can kind of get out there and, and help coach any any level, it's uh, I try to go for that opportunity because I know just like I did when I was playing, you know, yeah. some older guys came back and put their time in. And it was so fun to see that. So, Anytime I can do that, I do. 
I thought the lax the match was pretty cool idea where you guys got to wear your minor jerseys on the floor for warm up and you got to wear uh, an extra special jersey, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in our line of community, the, the junior A program started about, I want to say 12, 13 years ago. And the first ever captain for the Delta Junior Islanders was Thomas Hayden. And just recently, unfortunately, he passed away with his battle with cancer. And, uh, you know, he's a special guy to our community and, you know, a friend of, uh, you know, growing up, guys like me and um, Ryan and all my, my local friends, we all kind of idolized him growing up. And even guys his own age, he was, you know, just a beast, you can say, on the floor. And, and off the floor, he's the kindest, kindest, gentlest big giant, right? So uh, to be able to throw his jersey on and, and to represent not only him, but Delta Mile across before the game was, was special. And I know uh, just speaking with a lot of his friends and family, they, they really, you know, it was a thoughtful thing for them. And, you know, I, I enjoyed doing it. Absolutely. Um, the, the Vancouver Warriors season hasn't, you know, gone the way a lot of you had hoped it would um, on and off the floor, but this is a group that is starting to, to come together on the floor as a group. How important has Chris Gill been for this group in his first year as a head coach? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's done a great job with, you know, bringing this core group of local guys together and, and trying to build something, you know. Uh, I always say, like, you know, we, we battled against each other all summer long. We guys from almost every WLA association on our team and guys who, you know, personally I could not stand uh, seven months ago, you know, <laughs> have become really yeah. close friends of mine, you know, uh, Porter Brothers, Cod, yeah. those type of guys, you know, when we play against some Maple Ridge in the summertime, now, you know, they're some of the best guys I can, I can name on the team. You know, you go up to them, you always have great conversations, lots of laughs. Uh, you know, I've had nothing but, you know, good times and pleasure with playing with them on my team. And, you know, I think they're, they're great teammates and it's going to be tough going up against them in the summertime. You know, I think, uh, you know, the rivalry will still be there, but it's, uh, it's good to have that bond with those guys. Everybody hoped that when the Warriors moved from the LEC down to Rogers, that things would change and that a new culture would be built. It obviously hasn't gone according to plan in the stands, but it's got to have a different feel playing downtown. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think we've had some pretty good attendances. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how, how it reads as paid attendance slash, you know, um, I don't know how it all works in that sense, but right. when when we're rolling and we're scoring goals and, and Vancouver uh, Rogers Arena's rocking, and it's, it's a great environment to play in. The, the fans are passionate, and, yeah. you know, believe it or not, like, out and about downtown Vancouver, you kind of get recognized sometimes. Like I've been around different places, grocery store and stuff. Now that I live downtown, and if I have anything Warriors on, people are like, "Hey, oh, I've been to a couple games. It's awesome." They don't put two and two together that I play for the Warriors. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I heard they got good beer prices there. I have to check the game out. <laughs> and, and it's uh, it's pretty funny. So not the uh, direct spotlight you think that you get with the. Mm. Uh, you know, if you're the Canucks or another Big Ten sports, but people are buzzing about the Warriors, and if we can, uh, you know, get a couple more wins at home next season and, and to finish off this season, I think uh, it can only go up. Absolutely. Uh, so Rochester this weekend, uh, obviously a long travel for you guys, but a very important game. How important is it for you, uh, like we talked about, to get off to a hot start in that first quarter? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, coming off of uh, – you know, hot start in the last game. I think it just let everyone breathe a little bit better. Nobody was gripping their stick. Guys can kind of get back to playing with a little bit more swagger. And, you know, they're not worried about making mistakes. And I think that's when you're, you're at your best is when you're comfortable and you're relaxed. And you can just go out and play the game that you've been playing the last 25, 30 years. So 
uh, for us, a hot start is definitely important, and we got to learn to keep our foot on the pedal. You know, just because we're up by four, five, six goals, this is the type of league that that's not uh, that's not safe. You know, we've seen it many times where we've come back and just fell a little short in the fourth quarter, and you know we're aware of that. One thing I said to our team, you know, when we were up at halftime, like you know we've been on the other side of this game uh, many times in our in our season, and you know we come in here with a different attitude, and you know we got to make sure that. You know, we come in with that underdog attitude every game. So going into Rock, we know they're a talented team. We've seen them get wins. You know, they're in the same place as us. They they probably think they should have a couple more wins than they did already this year. So they're hungry to prove themselves, and I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, before I let you go, I had Jesse King on the show a couple of weeks ago. We were just talking about the Ohio State experience and Coach Myers. Um, what, do you, what do you remember most about being at a school that's as big as some small towns? Yeah, I think it's funny because it's, it's a big school, but it's really a tight community uh, mm-hmm. when it's all said and done, uh, especially with the athletics. I think there's probably over just about over 2,000, 3,000 uh, student athletes at Ohio State. And, you know, I could go up to any team when I was there and, and have three, four, five really good friends on each team. And I think that's something that, you know, a lot of Canadians like to pride themselves on, is, you know, just getting themselves out there and being friendly and having a good time wherever they are. Uh, I know myself and Jesse included did a lot of that. So our time there was special. We spent a lot of time together, uh, me and Jesse and the rest of the Canadians. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's one of the greatest places on earth. So uh, I know it holds a special place in his heart as well as, as well as mine. And you take every chance you can to get back, don't you? Oh, absolutely. I, I never miss a fall season. <laughs> you know, I try to find the biggest football games to go to or alumni weekends and try to organize to the alumni to kind of head in there at the same time. It's a little bit tough, but when uh, you bring all the boys back to Sky State, it's, uh, it's a great time. There he is, Logan Schuss of the Vancouver Warriors. Uh, he had a big night for that club Sunday, along with Jones and McBride and Keegan Ball. But you also got to give a huge head nod to Aaron Bold in that game as well, as he was just unbeatable like I said he gave up the first goal in the first shot of the game 17 seconds in then he would go on to face 72 more shots and stop 61 of them and that's not even an NLL record I think Matt King has it at 73 saves when he was a member of the Calgary Roughnecks in his first year in the National Lacrosse League. I think it might have even been Calgary's first year in the National Lacrosse League way back when but um, a huge game for Aaron Bold. Um, one of the things I love most about lacrosse and the lacrosse family is our unselfishness and our love for charity. And when I say that, I mean the amount of people who have donated and gifted to Aaron Bold's wife and have donated and gifted to Marshall King's girlfriend and have donated and gifted to Kyle Miller when he was sick, have donated and gifted to the Williams family when Tucker Williams was sick. And this past weekend, uh, the Philadelphia Wings gifted Aaron Bold with uh, a donation to help them in their hospital bills and a nice card signed by all the players, uh, which is an incredible token of good faith and love and family and goes a long way. I saw another great case of it in Colorado on Friday night. 
before the game, uh, down on the floor, chatting with players from both teams, just while guys were getting ready and warming up and getting loose. And Luke Magnin came over towards the Mammoth bench to see Sean Williams. And they shook hands and had a bit of a hug and caught up and chatted. And then Luke went into the locker room and then he came back out of the locker room with his um, cause for the cure jersey that Rochester had worn a couple weeks ago. And he finds Willie and he meets up with him and he gets to him and he says, hey man, a fan bid on my jersey last week and won it. And they wanted me to give it to you. And like what an incredible show of humanity to make a donation to a cause and then to flip the jersey to somebody who really doesn't need it. Like I don't think Sean William needs too many more jerseys in his collection, but to have a jersey that someone else bid for uh, with someone else's name on the back and then donate it to Sean is just a wonderful, wonderful sentiment. And we continue to see that all around the lacrosse world with, you know, players donating per diem and game checks and and expenses and helping that go towards those who need it in the lacrosse world uh, just continues to show how great this community really is and how much we care and love for one another. So um, there's GoFundMe pages out there. Uh, if you have the ability to donate or if there's an auction you can donate towards, please do because these people need our help. Uh, they need our love and they need our support. So uh, kudos to the Philadelphia Wings, to all the players who have donated. And shout out to Luke Magnan and that nice gentleman who bought the jersey and wanted it given to Sean Williams. Just an incredible, incredible gesture. Every week, we take a peek. Around the NLL, so many stories to tell. Let's hope our guest gives us more than stats. It's time for a chat with Smoke and Pat. Sing along with us. It's a chat with Smoke and Pat here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Pat Gregor joins us now. Pat, my friend, um, you still high off the Leafs win last night? Oh, absolutely, and the highest of all the highs is seeing Mitch Marner soak those two shots in the dying seconds of the game. Anytime you can see a skilled guy like that sacrifice their body, uh, that fires me up. But then after the high kind of came down, I was thinking, I really don't want to see Mitch Marner ever block those shots ever again. I was going to say, what happens if you would have like broken a leg or a hand or something blocking those shots? Oh, gosh. Toronto would be a mess right now. Babcock would be on the hot seat. Uh, Leafs Nation would be in shambles right now. Um, would you rather him be blocking shots or fighting Ovechkin? Oh, gosh. How about that bomb from Ovi? Oh, I, w- I would want him near Ovechkin with, with a, an eight-foot pole right now. <laughs> uh, you knew, I always knew, I knew Ovi was you know, big. He's a strong guy. Uh, I, I think he's only had a couple of scraps in, in his day, but, I mean, that one punch. And I know Sesnikov is... He's a young kid, but they, they both wanted to go, and yeah. that just shows you. Some guys just have old man strength, and that's that's Ovi right there. Ovi does indeed have old man strength. Uh, the NHL playoffs are heating up. Uh, first rounds are going crazy. How about those Colorado Avalanche? I love it. Yep. 
Um, yep. Unfortunately, the Colorado Mammoth stumbling into the playoffs. They haven't even clinched that. They've had two chances on their own. They didn't even get any help from Vancouver losing this weekend. Um, where do you see this team going? Because obviously I have a pretty first-hand experience watching them, and I'm kind of concerned. But what are your thoughts on Colorado and, and where they are right now? Uh, you know what? I, I think just with the way that the season has unfolded, uh, they're still, I think, in the driver's seat. Uh, you just kind of look at w- with Vancouver. Obviously, Vancouver looking really good in their last win uh, against a Philadelphia team who looked disinterested at some points. Uh, but Colorado, I mean, obviously it's concerning. Uh, but when you look at what Vancouver has left, they have to go out. They have to play a San Diego team who, yeah, I know they're kind of starting to falter a little bit, and they've lost some key players, including Austin Stotts, uh, which is you never want to see. Uh, and then they close out with with Toronto, which Toronto, that could be a nothing game for them. So, I don't know, maybe let's say Vancouver finishes 1-1. One and one. Well, there you go. doesn't matter what Colorado does. They get in. But they don't want to limp in. All these teams right now, you look – they're getting stronger. They're, they're fine-tuning. You look at a team in the East like Georgia, they just keep picking up steam. That's what you want to do in the playoffs. You don't want to be Colorado where, you know, you had a very, you know, disappointing start to the year. It looked like you started to build momentum, and then now things are starting to trail off. And the one thing that really concerns me is this team's going nowhere if they don't have Eli McLaughlin in, in the lineup. And I, I know he was injured, and I don't know the extent of the injury. You might know, or you definitely probably know better than I do. Uh, but if he's not 100% healthy, and if he's not even in the lineup, that offense is doing nothing close to flourishing at all. Did you just say that word? Did you just say it? Did you the just F say word? the F word? You just said sorry, the F word. I did say the F word. I, I, sorry, I forgot that, that, I forgot that was banned here. It was banned here. Um <laughs> I think you're right. You know, I was talking earlier in the show about, you know, Saskatchewan hitting their peak, you know, their yeah. stride right at the right time. And it's, it seems to be Saskatchewan's MO. They're either like really hot all season or they kind of have, they've stumbled this year uh, defensively. Um, but mm-hmm. Derek Keenan has always been able to get that team to find another gear late in the season. Unfortunately, Colorado hasn't been able to do it. Obviously the loss to, Saskatchewan a couple weeks ago was tough because their offense didn't really show up. Their offense was late showing up to the game this weekend uh, mm-hmm. against Rochester, and then you know they lose Eli. Corey Vitarelli goes down with an injury um, in the in the last couple minutes of regulation. Kyle Killen uh, wasn't out there. They had that six on five play, and they only had five guys out the front door just because yeah. they had so many injuries and they had drawn up a play and everybody they drawn not everybody they drew up the play for was on the floor so. Um, you know, injuries are starting to catch up with this club, unfortunately, at, at the worst time. And yeah. I agree. You know, they if they don't have Eli, they're really going to struggle. Uh, they picked up John St. John off the street free agent at the deadline yesterday. But, you know, I think that was just an emergency move just in case yeah. Eli is not ready. Um, yeah. But, you know, this is a team that's you know, they got to go into San Diego this weekend and they got to go into Saskatchewan next weekend. Um, it's not an easy road. And they're playing, you know, two teams they might have to face in the playoffs. You got a Vancouver team that's got to play Rochester, then Toronto. And mm-hmm. It's going to come right down the wire. And this is a club that's that's burned away too many good opportunities to to seal themselves in the playoffs and move up the standings. They just have haven't had a very good year all around. 
No, and I, I think you kind of you nailed that one on the head with the fact that you know they have so many self-inflicted wounds throughout the year. Uh, you know, not being able to close out games or you know not starting on time and playing catch up, whatever it may be. Like you said, yeah, it has been a disappointing season. Where you look on the other side of the coin with Vancouver, no one really had much expectations coming into this season for this mm-hmm. team outside of people in the organization and, and I mean they have had a disappointed season the fact that they're you know rolling into the last two weeks of the season uh, and they're still battling for a playoff yeah. spot is, is surprising for for a lot of people and I, that hasn't been because you know what they've been grinding and, and and staying with it and picking up key victories it's just been because Colorado hasn't been able to close things out. And that is that is a big concern, obviously, for the Mammoth. Uh, and this is a team that obviously holds themselves to, to a high standard. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is a young team, and they are going to have to learn. And uh, what better way to learn than in the last two games of the season against two teams, like you said, that you're going to have to beat probably. And maybe you just say to the boys now, you know, Listen, our playoffs start now. We have two games. Uh, we we got to win at least one to make sure we get in. Uh, we heard Julian Garitano on, on your podcast last week saying that, uh, you know, Pat Coyle said, we don't want anyone else uh, to decide our fate. Let's decide our own fate. And they need to do that with at least one win to make sure. If not, they're hoping that Vancouver loses two to end the year. Speaking of injuries, obviously the news of Austin Stotts was a little delayed from when the injury first happened. We all kind of saw the writing on the wall. But what uh, an unfortunate incident and and news, not only for Audie, but for for the Seals and for the entire National Cross League to lose a kid of his talent for the rest of the year. You know, probably the start of next year just because of how long it takes to come back from ACL injuries. Uh, But this is – an injury and a loss that could really affect the Seals moving forward. It, it certainly can. And again, you nailed it on the head. It's not just Seals fans that are and should be disappointed about it. If you're a lacrosse fan, this this is disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had such a tremendous uh, rookie season, obviously a couple of games here and there where he wasn't himself. Uh, but for the most part, he came in uh, to this league uh, as a rookie as a guy that still has junior eligibility and proven that not only does he belong, not only is he a key contributor, uh, but he's a superstar and not just a superstar in the making. He already is. And San Diego is going to miss that because as we know in the playoffs, uh, when things get a little tighter, when, you know, game plans are matched up, uh, there's going to be some guys on that seals team that are going to get keyed in on. And Austin Stoss is a guy that, We've seen him in the regular season, what he's been able to do. He's the type of guy that takes his game to the next level uh, when the stage gets bigger, or when the lights get brighter. I mean, this is a guy that a few years ago, you know, as a young kid, uh, was one of the best players on the floor in the Man Cup Championship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he, he thrived off it. You know, his first game looked great, and then scores a couple of big goals and the confidence just builds. And that's exactly what I was really looking forward to, to seeing him do that in the postseason. Because anytime we've seen him in the playoffs, whether it be with the arrows, uh, you know, even at on a dog at community college, he always rises to the occasion. And that's what the seals are going to miss. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Uh, the seals, obviously their strength right now is their depth. 
uh, and the ability to have different guys that can go off each night and they have some veteran uh, presence on the offensive side of the ball. But at the end of the day, losing a guy like that who can take over games, uh, especially in the National Lacrosse League where it's only one game uh, pretty much through the entire way through the, the postseason, uh, missing an X factor like that, uh, that that's going to hurt your chances uh, to go deep in the postseason. Yeah, you know, only six times in the 14 games he played, he had three or less points. And only yeah. once all year he was held without a goal. Like, that's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> for a rookie to come in and put up those numbers. They had won eight of 10 at one point, and now they've lost three straight. It, obviously, this injury and this losing streak couldn't come at a worse time, but right. this first-year team finally seeing, them, uh, seeing some adversity. How important does the veterans of Dawson and Billings and Shiliano and Buchanan and Holding um, come into play to keep this team heads high moving in their final two games of this regular season. Oh, I mean, it's everything. And we talked about it again earlier, you know, I think it was last week or maybe the week before that we hadn't really seen the adversity come mm-hmm. for the San Diego team. And, and you know, for a young team, uh, having adversity down the stretch, that's something that's, you know, definitely alarming. But like you said, when you have a guy like Dan Dawson leading your team, uh, that adversity doesn't quite seem quite as bad. Yeah, he's one of the best leaders uh, that this game has ever seen. You talk about that Man Cup championship I mentioned. He was also on that team. Uh, He was another guy uh, that stepped up immensely. And, and, you know, he was one of the guys like Austin Stotts who, you know, picked the team up and put them on their back. And Dawson's going to have to do that again. Uh, You know that they're going to go, you know, there's a good chance that maybe we see them uh, play the rush in that Western final. Well, Look at all the leadership that they have on that side, whether it be on the bench or on the floor. So uh, for a team that's an expansion team that that is, you know, learning how to play as a team, learning how to be pros, boy, they are lucky that they have some great leaders on that team to really not have them feel like they are an expansion team at all. If it's finished right now, it would be Saskatchewan, Colorado, San Diego, Calgary. And I don't think you count Calgary out of that game. Absolutely not. No chance, especially the way that, you know, we've seen their offense click, Uh, you know, obviously with King now being back, that's another dangerous piece to that offense. We know what Christian Del Bianco can do, uh, especially when he catches far. We know how important hot goaltending is in the postseason. That defense likes to play fast. Uh, They're a team that absolutely do not count them out, especially with, San Diego kind of limping into the postseason as well. I mean, the Roughnecks, that's that's a great dark horse pick uh, if you're looking to see maybe a value play like we were talking about gambling oh, last week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are a heavy gambler. Um, now let's put your gambling skills to the test, Patrick. Oh, here we go. If you had to pick a defender of the year, who is it going to be? You know what? This one's so, so, so tough for me, and and it's tough for, for many reasons. One, I think I spend so much time, you know, dissecting defenders, not just because that's what I play and that's what I coach and it's something that I really have a passion for, uh, but the fact that I'm, you know, watching the defenders for the grinders of the week. Normally it's usually a defender. Um, so that throws in a wrench here as well, but I just don't remember a season where you have a jam 
of, you know, five or six guys that you could make a legitimate excuse for being a number one defender of the year. But if I had to pick one right now, I, I think I'm going with Kyle Rubish. What he's been able to do in the second half is incredible. It's not like he had a, a bad start in the first, uh, but just with the defensive struggles, you could tell that, uh, you know, maybe he was, you know, trying too too much or we just weren't really seeing the, the rubes that we're no you know we're used to seeing the second half of the season i i mean this could be the you know some of the best ball that we've ever seen and, and considering that this guy could go down as one of the greatest defenders uh, in national lacrosse league history is saying something uh, but you look down the list as well you just look down a couple stalls from him in saskatchewan mike messenger another guy that's kind of come out of nowhere uh, in each game it seems like he finishes with, you know, two to three, maybe even sometimes five cause turnovers, a boatload uh, of loose balls, tri- trips, you know, uh, sorry, uh, trickles in a couple of transition goals as well. I-, I know I was high on David Brock. He's another guy that you could put in consideration. Brad Cree, uh, I feel like some weeks I'm standing on top of a mountain screaming, why does this guy not get the respect he should be? He's a top defender in the league. Another guy that's gone under the radar last year's Defensive Player of the Year, Graham Hossack. For whatever reason, not a lot of people are talking about him. I think it's because of, you know, Rochester's down season. Uh, But he's been one of the bright spots there. And another person who was getting all the praises at the start of the year is Steve Priolo. But he comes into kind of a a little bit of a spot, maybe Messenger is as well too, that now there are so many good, well-rounded defenders you kind of don't know if you put them in a defender or a transition uh, piece when it comes to the award. That's one thing we, we kind of had a chat with in Isle Indoor when we're getting ready for our, our awards at the end of the year. We, you know, we sat down and we were saying, listen, like, who's a defender? Who's a transition player? Because is this guy a defender who just you know, can contribute in transition, or would you consider him as a transition player? So I think that's a good thing for the league that you know, people who are that high-tuned into the game are having a – a tough time deciding if they're transition or if they're defenders because it just shows you the days of a stay at home defender is, is I wouldn't say long gone, uh, but they're starting to, to definitely fade away. I would say, and, and I completely get that argument. And it's an argument when I was with IL, we had that conversation all the time. And I know general managers have it all the time when they're trying to figure out who they're going to vote for, but let's put it this way. If you're in the top eight in defensive scoring and you have more than three goals, you're not a stay-at-home D guy. Yeah. You're a transition guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you look at Rogers, Triolo, Steph Charbonneau, David Brock, like those guys are transition guys. They're incredible yeah. defenders, but they are transition guys. And so you could, you know, hell, you could say Steve Triolo is the best D and transition guy in the league. You could make that argument. You could make that argument for Graham Hossick. You could make that argument for the way Chown Rogers has been playing this year. But Rogers has obviously gotten a little front door time in the power play unit, so his stats are a little exact. But I think just the versatility of defenders in our game today is so incredible because you are getting players who were naturally offensive guys in their minor careers and even maybe their junior careers. And now that they come to the NLL, they may not fit into an offensive system and be forced into a back-end guy like Dane Smith in his rookie year. He he was a stud out of junior, but he didn't fit into the offensive Buffalo, so they made him a transition guy. 
and he was lights out. He could have been a transition player of the year that year. Um, and I think we're starting to see those types of athletes come into the game of lacrosse, which is only going to make the action and the play on the floor that much more entertaining, but it still mm-hmm. continues to blur the lines where guys fall between defender and transition player. Absolutely. And that, that's, that's such a, a good point. And I was just going to say, as I mentioned, how there's not as many stay-at-home defenders anymore. You're not really seeing those transition guys that are just there to, you know, create offense and create fast breaks. And they're kind of, I wouldn't say a liability, uh, but they're definitely more of a transition player than, than a defender. Now we're mm-hmm. seeing those transition players being almost shut down players at times too. Cause if you look at a guy like Challen Rogers, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, one on one defensively, he's, he's incredible, but he's also on the power play. It's, it's, you're right. You, you totally nailed that. The versatility of players, whether it be on the defensive end, obviously it's more on the de- defensive mm-hmm. end. It's great for the game. It makes it more entertaining. And for the Americans that are, are coming into the game, I think they have to look at you know playing transition as an option because of how difficult it really is to pick up the offense if you've never played the indoor game and you just mm-hmm. jump in to the best league in the world. Not everyone's Tom Schreiber. There's only one of them in the world. There's a few players that have been able to you know jump in right away without any experience at all. Uh, if you have a midfielder, if you're an American midfielder and you're looking uh, to break in into the indoor game, by all means, go on the back end, play defense. You get to crush guys, and you also get to move the ball up the floor and score some sweet breakaways. It, it seems like a no-brainer for me. And you know what? You know, you and I are junior B coaches now, and we're starting to see the ability to take young players and develop them more by running them out the back door and turn them into transition players. Absolutely. I mean, uh, that, that's, we've ran into it this year. There's a couple of guys that, like you said, you know, in midget have been, you know, one and two in scoring on their midget team, playing offense pretty much, you know, for the last few years. Uh, haven't played really a defensive role since they had to play both sides in Bantam or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And they're coming up to junior now, and we're having to tell them, listen, there's not a spot for you on offense. Give defense a try. L- listen, you're going to get your chances. You're, go- you're going to be able to contribute in offense, but you you got to play defense first. And at the end of the day, it's only going to make you a better lacrosse player and you a more marketable lacrosse player, whether it be you know going down to the States or playing at the next level in junior A or even further than that. Uh, before we let you go, um, Paul Day of the Philadelphia Wings put out an incredibly steamy hot take today. Um, where he said that uh, Trevor Baptiste could go down as one of the greatest players in the sport, and that is just all due to his coachability. Uh, the guy won 31 of 35 face-offs this weekend against Vancouver, who haven't really been a dominant draw team all year. Uh, he's still without a goal, but he has been very influential in their team uh, this year, giving them multiple possessions. How do you feel about that hot take from Paul Day? I love Paul Day. I love Trevor Baptiste, but that is that is a Stephen A. Smith level hot take. Um, it's a for him to be the greatest face-off guy ever. Absolutely, that that could happen within the next couple of seasons, for all we know. Um, but to say he could be one of the the greatest players we've ever seen, I mean, he hasn't even finished his full NLL season in his rookie season. Like you said, he hasn't even scored a goal yet. Uh, at the National Lacrosse League level. I think the sky's the limit for him. 
but that's a really, really high limit for him there. Uh, I, I would like to pump the tires, and obviously, you know, Paul Day sees him every day, he sees him, uh, you know, the, the development that he has made, but saying one of the GOATs, that's mm. that's a lot. And that's a lot. I think he is going to be a tremendous player. I think he's going to be a, a you know cornerstone piece uh, for that Philly team. I don't think he's always going to be a Fogo guy, and you're seeing him take more defensive reps. Uh, but that's just that's scorching, man. That's scorching. I don't know <laughs> that about that. Patty, always a pleasure, my man. Uh, great chat, and we'll talk next week. Of course. Thanks for having me, as always, man. The man, the myth, the legend, Pat Gregoire. Joining us on the show as he does every week. Uh, Patty had a great article on IL Indoor um, talking about grinders as he always does. And he makes the case for Lyle Thompson as his grinder of the week. And I have to agree with him. And not only because uh, I'm a huge Lyle fan, but it's because of all the little things that Lyle does. And it's very similar to the work ethic of John Tavares. And I can remember... Um, half a dozen years ago, watching a game, uh, Buffalo, I don't remember who they were playing, but JT threw a ball away. There was a loose ball in the corner. And I said to myself, he is going to get that ball. And he outworked three defenders, got knocked to the ground, crawled on his knees for a couple feet, found that loose ball, got out of trouble, went all the way to the other side of the floor, got a new possession and started a fresh 30. It's little things like that that take great players to elite players. And Lyle Thompson is an elite player because of plays like that. And when you can see a MVP forward, a constant guy that is going to be, you know, in the top five of NLL scoring for goals or assists, when you can see a guy who is a leader leading like that and making those hustle plays, it makes everybody around him want to work that much harder. So if you haven't read Pat Gregoire's gamers or grinders of the week over on Isle indoor, I highly suggest you check that out. Um, before we let you go, uh, a couple things that kind of just pop into my mind as they often do. Um, we talked about the weekend of Ben McIntosh, where he had 11 goals uh, for the Saskatchewan Rush in their two games this past weekend. Well, Matt Rambo had himself quite a weekend as well. Uh, he had six points in the game against Vancouver. He had eight points in that game against Saskatchewan, where the Wings were leading going into the fourth quarter, uh, but they ran into a Rush team, as mentioned, that just is able to find another gear. But Rambo put up 14 of his 51 points this past weekend. He has 20 points in his last three games. For a guy that had never played an indoor lacrosse game before, he's really taken to the box game quite quickly. And one of the best parts is, was a quote from Paul Day earlier on in the year when talking about Rambo, and he said, I'm not going to convert him into a box guy. I'm just going to go let him play. And that's what he's done. He's let Rambo do his thing, whether it's split dodges from the wing or coming over the top or inside rolling. He probably needs to get a little better in the two-man game. Um, I think really Philadelphia should bring Jake Berge in and let him work one-on-one with Rambo just to teach him 
some of the nuances of the pick and roll game. But once Rambo figures that out, look out. Because this guy, he's a 25-26 guy in his first year. Never played indoor before. That's a heck of a season. They'd love to see him cut down his turnovers. He's got as many turnovers as he does assists. Uh, He's got some decent loose ball numbers. He's shooting at about 20%, which isn't terrible. The guy is a workhorse. He is pretty much a horse, just the size of him. And he's starting to figure out the indoor game. Put a few more pieces around him. Give him a little bit more experience, and the guy is going to cause some damage. And you heard Pat and I talking about just the way some of these kids are coming into the National Lacrosse League these days, uh, straight out of NCAA, four years of college. They are bigger, faster, stronger, more mature lacrosse players. And it only leads to better quality lacrosse on the turf. When you look at the NLL top scoring, there's already two guys over 100 points. We're probably going to get at least two or three more to crack that 100-point barrier. And Dane Doby is going to win the Triple Crown. And yes, I'm going to call it the Triple Crown because you can't win. You can win the points race without winning goals and assists. But to lead in goals and assists and therefore points... It's only been done like three times in the history of the NLL. And I think both were done by Gate Brothers. Maybe JT did it once, but I'm sure, pretty sure it's the Gate Brothers who have done it the most, and it's two or three times. To lead the league in goals and assists and points is an incredible feat. And Dane Doby has to be up there in conversation for the MVP. If Dane Doby is not in your top three for MVP, you're not paying attention to the National Lacrosse League properly. What he has done for that team when they didn't have Westberg and Curtis Dixon to start the year, they haven't had Berg for the entire year. Jesse King just came back. Reese Dutch was finding his feet within that franchise. And yet Dane Doby the ever steady has been there throughout. And I believe Graham Perro put up an NLL fact of the day that he is now second all time in points for a player with just one team. I don't see him going anywhere other than Calgary. I would expect him to finish his career there in three, four, five years, however many more years that he plays. But if Dane Doby is not in contention for MVP, something is seriously wrong. He has been fantastic this year. He's got a one goal lead on Lyle, two goals on Benny, Benny Mack, and three goals on Crawford. And he's three assists above Dane Smith, four above Billings and Evans in the assist title. For something to never to have been done only a smattering of times. And for him to do it now in this day and age, at his age, even though he's not that old, but an older guy, is incredible. 
and definitely worthy of MVP considerations. Tell me your thoughts. Also, I'd like to hear your thoughts on how we can differentiate D guys from transition guys because it can't be just as simple as putting a T or a D beside a guy's name. I think that if you're in double digits of points, automatically a transition guy. Well, maybe not because you can have a bunch of assists as a D guy. Let's say if you have five goals or more out of the back end, you're a transition guy. That's going to be my starting line. Your thoughts. Let me know. At off the crossbar or teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, for tuning in and listening. Uh, thanks to Logan Schuss for giving us some time. He was busy down by the water. The helicopters were out searching for him. Uh, he is a wanted man. And, of course, as always, thanks to Pat Gregoire. We will continue to seek out Reggie Thorpe for next week and catch up with the Thorpe man. And we'll bring you some more guests next week. Who knows? We could have all eight teams booked in for the playoffs. Or it could come down to the final weekend with Vancouver and Colorado. If only, if only the schedule makers had made them play the last game of the year together. If only there was some sort of foresight. Alas. My name has been Teddy Jenner. Thanks for tuning in. As always, a busy five-game weekend in the NLL. One game Friday, Colorado at San Diego. Then on Sunday, four games. Philly at Georgia, Vancouver at Rochester, New England, Buffalo, Saskatchewan, Calgary. All games stream live on BR Live and BR Live, the app. Go get it, check it out, and enjoy every single moment. Until then, we'll talk to you next week. Be excellent to each other. 